talking about our sojourn here on this planet as Christians and who we are. And uh, we're going to be looking at 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. And like I was saying earlier, I started out this message, I was going to preach about uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 10 through 12. And then so as you start to prepare the message and saying, okay, what this is saying, you look at the beginning, you look at the end, you see it where it's at, and then you try to bring it into context. And, and so by the time I'm getting right into this message, just, I can't even go there because this is where I'm at. So it's just an interesting process. So we're looking at the first three verses instead of the last three verses or the middle three verses. And when we're done, I hope that we'll all be encouraged because um, Peter's talking a little bit about suffering or a lot about suffering here and uh, the suffering that these people are going through. They're confused and can't figure out why if, you know, if, if God is just and God is good, why are these bad things happening to us? And so when we're done this morning, I'm hoping and praying that uh, we'll all be encouraged that with recognizing that through our journey in this life that times can be difficult, sometimes they can be extremely difficult. But it's these difficulties that are the very things that cause us to grow and mature in our faith. And it's something that needs to take place in every one of us. Because as we're going through these difficulties, it's a way of stripping off the old man. It's a way of stripping off the self, self and a humbling of the soul and a bringing to life the spirit. The center of who we are in Christ. And it just helps us to begin to really live that out the way that God intended for us to live out as lights in a very dark world. And so Peter starts his letter, he says, this is Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. I am writing to God's chosen people who are living as foreigners in the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. God the Father knew you and chose you long ago, and his spirit has made you holy. As a result, you have obeyed him and have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. It is just the way that we as human beings are made. We have this innate uh, drive within us to feel like we're getting somewhere in life. We are supposed to be able to look at where we've been and then where, and, uh, look at where we are and then look at where we're going. And then as Christians, we should be able to look at yesterday and see that we're more like Christ today than we were yesterday. And we're hoping that we're going to be more like Christ tomorrow than we are today. Yet the road that we take in this process really can have quite some bumps, some twists, and some turns that seem to catch us right off guard, and at turns they take and turn us in a totally different direction than what we're going and what our minds are set on. And this can be extremely upsetting to us and unsettling, especially when we have our hearts set on a particular end result. Our hope and our passion has to be set on what God says our internal or eternal inheritance is both here today and in this journey until we reach our new Jerusalem. The Apostle Paul writes to the Colossian church and he says, Since you have been raised to a new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, not the imaginations of what you think heaven might be, but through reading the scriptures and learning who God is and getting to know the word, setting your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits at the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, 
not the things of the earth. There's a big secret right there about walking in the spirit and living the life that God has ordained for each one of his people to walk. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of the earth. You died, for you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. It is when we have our sight set on the things of heaven that we develop what's called a biblical worldview. And when we're allowing the thinking of this world to sort of consume us, it tends to take away from this development of uh, heavenly thinking and being able to think on the things of heaven. We can't think about being consumed with the thoughts of the world and consumed with the thoughts of heaven. It's either one or the other. And we're to be intentional about thinking about the things of heaven. And if we, if we allow this world to consume us to the point where we can't, or we're not thinking about the things of heaven, we're missing out on developing this world, biblical worldview that God needs us or we need to have. That's understanding really what the scripture is saying. And uh, so what does the Bible say? If we believe what the scriptures say, we have to understand that we are walking as sojourners. Foreigners moving towards a promised land that we will one day that will one day be our eternal home, where righteousness, peace, and joy reign. What a great place! Listen to these verses. They talk about our homeland that we are walking towards on this journey. Revelation twenty-one three says, "I heard a loud shout from the throne, saying, Look, God's home is now among His people.'" He will live with them, and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. Amen. All these things are gone forever. The sorrow, the pain, the miserable side of life. A number of years ago, I was asked to uh, do to by family... To set to uh, do a graveside service for my aunt, and what we were doing at the graveside service, we were putting her urn into the grave of, like, on top of the grave of her son who died about 40 years before. And as we're standing at the cemetery, they called me and they asked me if I would do this service uh, at the graveside. But they said we don't want any preaching at this graveside. And I thought, I'd ask a pastor to do a graveside service and have no preaching at this graveside. I thought, okay, I'll do my best. <laughs> but we're standing around this grave, all of us, and I, I, you know, I just, I'm from Bentley. This was in the Bentley Cemetery, and as we're standing around the cemetery, and, you know, I couldn't help but notice, because being from Bentley, I'd just look around at the tombstones. I knew so many of the names that were in that graveyard. And so I'm standing there, and I'm noticing these names, and... Uh, I said to them, I says, you know, 40 years ago, we all stood around this very grave, just broken and grieving because of the, lane of, uh, the loss of Wayne, my aunt's son. I said, we're broken, and I said, and I can't help but look around and see all of these people that we know that are in this cemetery. And uh, I said, my brother's grave is just a few graves down here. And I says, you know, there's a reason why we're burying the, our loved ones in these cemeteries. And I said, since this 40 years ago when we were burying Wayne here, I says, I've become a Christian. So here we go, we start preaching. I'm trying not to preach, but it's just, it's coming out. It's starting to happen. 
And I said to them, I said, and since I've become a Christian, you know, like I've come to believe that God's word is true. And as I read his word, I says, as a Christian, I have an incredible hope that, and I know, according to the scriptures, that we're not always going to be burying dead people. We're not always going to be in the graveyard saying goodbye to our loved ones. I says, because, I said, there's a day, and so I had to quote a verse. <laughs> I said, it says that there's a day that God will wipe away every tear from our eyes. And I says, and, he, and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. I said, all these things are gone forever. I said, and as a Christian, I said, that's the hope that I have. And I said, I'm so thankful for that. I said, my brother's grave is just down here. And I said, and he was a Christian. And I said, and I know where he's at. And uh, so as we just did all that, and I said, and you know, I says, the scripture even says that these things that I've just told you are trustworthy and true. And uh, nobody complained. <laughs> Nobody complained, but I had an uncle that was there from out east, my aunt's brother. And uh, I don't know him real well. I've only met him a few times in my lifetime, but he wanted to ride back. We were at the reception was out at the farm. He wanted to ride back with me, and he, he says, Mark, he says, that was just so beautiful. He says, will you do that at my graveside? <laughs> and I said, I'd love to, you know. And so I know he's getting close. <laughs> but... Preach the gospel, eh? We need to preach the gospel. And because they're family and stuff, boy, you know, it's all important. You're like a family member, family, and I'm pastor. And so how important is it that we as Christians, when we say we're Christian, to be an example so that when we have an opportunity to be able to stand beside a graveside service that's something just a few minutes long and be able to share something like this, they don't start throwing things at you because you're such a hypocrite. You know, praise God. You know, I've worked hard to be, try to be honest and try to be upstanding with them and prefer them and love them and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, it's, it's just a good thing to live well. They heard the gospel that day, praise God. Theologian Karen Job says, Mankind's exile began in the garden when they turned their backs on God, demanding to live uninhibited, a life uninhibited, doing whatever they wanted to do. We see this carried out with the life of Cain and being experienced by God's people in one form or another ever since. The Pentateuch, the law of Moses, or the first five books of the Bible, ends with God's people at the edge of the Jordan after 40 years of wandering, looking into a land, and in, in their minds finally put an end to their exile sojourning and finally give them rest at home. At the end of 2 Kings, which is a, quite a number of years later, we see we're left with God's people being exiled into Babylon and scattered throughout Assyria. And we see the anguish of their souls in Psalms 137, where it says, Beside the rivers of Babylon we sat and wept as we thought about Jerusalem. They remembered what they had. We put away our harps, hanging them on the branches of the poplar trees. How sad. What a sad story. They had it all. And even in the return of God's people to the promised land, Israel begins to realize that their exile has not ended. So what God is, uh, where am I at? Right there. Even though it has not ended. I'll get it. 
messing around with this last night, and I think it's just a little messed up. I've got more there than here, so I'll read that. <laughs> the exile is not only geogra- a geographical problem, but also a spiritual one. But like Adam and Eve, the problem is not simply one of relocation, but it is one of an alienation from God. And so what I'm trying to say is that there is no earthly home or land that will ever be home enough for us. Whether in poverty or prosperity, we're not home yet. You know, we're sojourners. Nothing this world has to offer us will ever compete with what God is saying is going to be ours in our new Jerusalem, in our heavenly home. And that's where we're headed. And we have to really keep this in mind that that this is not our home. You know, but in the meantime, we're walking all around through this life as flesh and blood, facing our temptations and our struggles and our hurts. And Scripture is very clear that as we're walking through this life as foreigners, that we're walking as a spiritual Israel. Israel was to be a witness to the rest of the world around them. We're walking as a spiritual Israel. We are to be a witness to the rest of the world that's all around us. And when they hear you're a Christian, they're looking. It's amazing how they're looking. They're looking when they're not even trying to look. This is not our home. We are on a journey and we're heading to our promised land. So in the short 60 years that I've been living on this planet, one thing I've noticed is life is very short. It's like I was young and then I was old. It's like one day I was young and the next day when I woke up I thought, wow, like men, what happened? It's amazing. It's just it's like really how it happens. It's like, wow. So in these short 60 years, a lot has happened, but it's gone very fast. Even though we have this hope, sometimes the difficulties that we go through, they jar us so badly that they flip our worlds right upside down, and it gets so hard to even make the simplest of decisions. We're not infallible, we're mortal, but the God who gives us hope is immortal. There's a symbol that we have in Stephen ministry, and... uh, it's, they call it disequilibrism, you know, whatever that big word is. And what this is, it's, you know, like a triangle. They just say, okay, this is the triangle of life. Normally, it's on its flat. But when we get into a crisis, all of a sudden, this triangle's flipped up onto that tip, and it's just wobbling back and forth, and we don't know which way this triangle's going to fall. And in this crisis that we're going through, and it's, we have the hardest time making the simplest decision because we know it's going to make this triangle flip one way or the other, and we're not sure which way we want it to flip. We're confused, we're hurting, we're not sure. And the Stephen ministry is a great ministry, you know, because it helps us when we're in seasons like this. We've got the ministry fair going on in the back. Check out these tables. There's a lot of great, effective ministries. Uh, The Stephen ministry, any of them, you get a binder, and it talks all about the different care that they give and the time it takes for training and when, you know, who's available, whatever is in them. But... What they do is they just come alongside and they support. You got your life just sort of wobbling like that. They come and they just sort of are like a stabilizer to you. They just come, they put their arm around you and they just walk with you. They don't come try and fix you. They don't come and try and counsel you. They just come and put their arm around you. And it takes that wobble out of that triangle so the triangle's just sort of sitting there. It doesn't flip the triangle until God takes that triangle and he flips it to where he wants it to be. And the Stephen minister's just there to help stabilize you and help to just give you strength to stand. 
Now, here's an interesting story. Bethany Hamilton once ranked the best amateur teen surfer in Hawaii. She lost an arm to a tiger shark in October 2003. There's been a movie that's been made of this, and it's really a very good movie. It's very well done, and uh, I know it was on Netflix and may still be, but uh, because of her passion for her sport, like she's a unique girl because her competitiveness after this took on a whole new level. She uh, was determined to not stop this event here from have, for her living a productive, effective life. And so she became so determined to, um, and became very mission-minded. So she started doing mission trips and going out and helping people that have less. And when she was asked about her giving heart, her generosity, she says, I have more than I could ever need in life. And, uh, and, she's, and then she was talking to her pastor and asking him, you know, how, how can I show the world that I still have a life and that I enjoy my life and that my life is full of joy? And here's a picture of her today, or close to today. A husband and two kids, still got their surfboards. But, you know, living life to the full. She's a Christian, and she has an assurance that only God can give her. And, like, that'd be quite a thing to have your arms severed like that as a young teenager. But, you know, she was determined to make life work. And by the grace of God and God giving her the grace that she needed to get through it, she's been able to do that. Uh, It's quite an amazing story. It's a great movie. And how we handle these difficulties in life, what we do with them, how we react to them, make or break us in our lives. You know, because we're all hurt. Every one of us, we're hurt in life. Life is painful. And when we're young and we're innocent, it doesn't take long before we realize that people can be mean. And we can even be mean. I can remember as a young guy, I was a very nice little boy, but I could be mean. You know, to somebody that was maybe a little weaker than I was, I could be nasty, just like everybody else. And as a teenager or a young adult, someone maybe, or maybe many people have uh, treated you badly or hurt you in some way. And I've seen people who have been hurt as a young person, and they live their whole life with this hurt. And they carry it through their life with unforgiveness. And then I've seen them come to a point where they recognize, okay, this is doing me no good, and... And come to a place where they ask the Lord to give them the strength to be able to forgive this person or forgive these people. And then as they receive the grace that God gives them and they choose to forgive, they experience a freedom like they've never known before in their lives. Because they've been bound up for so many years, this freedom that's like they are a totally different person. And it's a good time to ask the question, what have you done with your pain? Because I know that every single one of us have been hurt as young people. And maybe you've handled it well, maybe you haven't handled it well. You know, what do we do with our hurt when those things happen to us? This is real life that happens to all of us, and it happens in a variety of ways. A lot of this happens to us more than once. It happens many times in a lifetime. And what we do with these hurts, really think about it over a lifetime. If you're hanging on to a hurt that's happened to you when you were young, if you're going to hang on to that through your life, coming to the end of your life, It can be pretty hard on you. And there's ways to deal with this. And I know that Jesus wants us all to be free from this pain and hurt and uh, guilt. He says that it is as we come to know him, we come to know the truth. And as we come to know the truth, the truth is what sets us free. Is everybody free this morning? Are you all free here? 
Praise God for his grace and the throne of grace that we can come to with confidence in our time of need. That we might find mercy. Over the 40 years of being a Christian, I have been, uh, seen so many people unwilling to forgive. It's a, it's a tough thing to see. You know that it, what it is. And they say, I can't forgive that person. You can forgive that person by the grace of God. He says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And that's the key is having that relationship and being strengthened by that relationship with Christ. And we need to forgive because it's only hurting us. You might feel like you're unable to forgive someone, and then this is another thing in this ministry fair. We have a ministry out there which is called Freedom in Christ. You know, whether it's somebody else that's hurt you or it's something that you have in life that you're struggling with that seems like you just can't get past something. This Freedom in Christ ministry is a ministry where people are... they continually taking training and learning and praying with people uh, one-on-one or three-on-one just and it's a ministry where you allow the Holy Spirit to just lead you to the area and the root of what the hurt where the hurt started and uh, it's a great ministry you can check out the um, freedom in Christ table out the back just take the information just sneak it off there doesn't mean you're hurting and maybe it's you're interested in the ministry and you want to get involved in that ministry helping people that are hurting. So, you know, you can go to these tables. It doesn't mean you're hurting. It doesn't mean you're suffering. You know, maybe you're looking into the areas of ministry that you want to minister in. I have had many people come to me that have been totally bound with unforgiveness. And, and after talking and prayer, it's been amazing as clarity comes to their mind and they choose to forgive and they leave my office. I have seen people, I've had... Uh, uh, someone come to my office a number of years ago and their marriage was just right on the rocks and, and I talked to their husband and uh, the wife had come in and we had talked and prayed together and as I talked and as I just sort of listened to her, realizing, okay, I can see where the problem's at here and then take her back to these problems and help her to understand what's gone on and then coming to a place where, you know, we were going to pray, she couldn't, she hadn't closed her eyes to pray for years, because when she closed her eyes and she and started to pray, this demonic figure would come up in front of her face, and it was so real and so strong to her she hadn't closed her eyes since she was a little girl to pray. And then so I just talked with her about that, and I took authority over the powers of darkness, and I commanded this thing to leave. And it's like, man, it was like like a different room. And then all of a sudden she closed her eyes and started praying and crying. And it was just amazing, you know, and she, was, she wasn't just changed then and walked out and come back the next day the same as she was when, before we prayed. She was changed for the rest of her life. Her husband come up to me six months later, just walking by, he grabs my hand and he says, thank you for, for talking with my wife and praying with my wife. He said, our marriage has never been the same. And it's incredible. And it was stuff that was going on in her life between, you know, with uh, family as, as a young girl and uh, parents and all that kind of stuff. It wasn't you know, sexual abuse or anything like that, but it was just, just ordinary kind of stuff that affected a young girl. And it was amazing. She was delivered and set free, and she was a totally different person, and she was, she was just gone from then on, just doing tremendous. And these things happen, and uh, this is a part of the walk that we walk, and it's learned, and it's progressive. We grow in it, and one thing about it is we never arrive. The destiny is the journey. That's what it's all about. The destiny is the journey. 
We're sojourners walking through this life toward our promised land. Maybe you feel that you did everything that you could do in your marriage relationship and all you've ever gotten back is pain and hurt. And this happens in so many relationships in so many different ways we experience these kinds of things in relationships. And this is where we're fallible. And this is what's so hard about it. But, you know, it's as we show each other grace and, and I know you can say, yeah, but we show each other grace because the word says, you know, freely, freely, you've received, freely give. And I know that's easier said than it's real easy to say from up here. But when it comes to being in the relationship, that's another story and I know all about that. These tensions can be so difficult and can be complicated, and, but by the grace of God, with some real hard work in the natural and some real hard work in the spiritual side of our lives, as a couple... God is more than able to do the work of a miracle that we need him to do. He's more than capable of doing that, and he will. It's quite miraculous what God can do in two people that are willing to stop, first hear what he is saying, and then say, okay, and put it into practice. We've seen this happen, so like I'm not just saying this, just saying, oh, it's something I read in a book. We've seen this happen here. Like I'm not a great reader, so most of what I say is experience. (laughs) But, you know, God is just waiting to do a miracle in all of our lives. And I had someone come to me for prayer here a couple Sundays ago. This is an incredible thing. You know, they come in and uh, for prayer, their hands were just raw, like really raw and split and... Uh, they, they were in tears. They were very concerned because they went to the doctor and the doctor said they didn't know what they could do, what they were going to be able to do for their hands. So they came up for prayer during the altar service and I anointed the hands with oil. And then they came back last Sunday and, and they just had their hands up and they fell to their knees and they said, look, my hands are healed. She felt her hands started being healed that night. And I looked at her hands, and her hands were healed. They were good. It was amazing. And this person was just ecstatic about what God had done. We got a care card in here about three weeks ago, two, three weeks ago, and somebody during the worship service, they said that their knees were healed. That was during the worship service. You know, they're just worshiping God. And I had been praying that. God, you know, during the worship during the sermon, you know, not even when we're praying for it. Just move by your Holy Spirit through your people's lives and, and just by your mercy. Because it's not because we deserve it or we ever get good enough. We just check it off, all these things we've got to do, and then we can stand here and wait. It's just by his mercy right where we are with who we are that we receive any good thing from God. And that's what we've been praying. You know, a number of years ago, I had a cousin... Uh, that I was going to move to Edmonton with Wayne, the one that we buried. I was going to move to Edmonton with him, and, and um, one party weekend on a Friday night, he was killed, uh, just as we're talking about me moving to Edmonton with him. And he was going to university. He was in his last year of being a pharmacist. And, and so he was killed, and I this grief was just intense. Like I had never felt such sadness in my life. Like that was just a whole new ballgame of how sad that can be. In a number of years... Later, my brother was killed, and again, this terrible, horrible, hard grief. But then I wasn't just grieving for myself. I was grieving for his three little boys, six, eight, and nine years old. 
The look in their face when trying to tell them that their daddy wasn't going to come home. He wasn't coming home anymore because God took him home. It was like you could see them just thinking, like trying to process this. But grief on a whole different level. And it, I talked to the Lord about this and uh, had all my equipment in a, a yard out of town. I drove out there and I had my brother clean it all up at the end of the year and, and build shelves and build stuff. And I sat in my truck and I just looked at all this stuff that he did and just, you know, overwhelmed and just crying and saying, oh God, you know, it doesn't matter how I reason this, it doesn't make sense. It just doesn't make sense at all. There's three little kids, three little boys and his young wife like, you know, that I don't understand. And I just, I tell you, I could just about physically feel God's arms around me and just comforting me and just an assurance in my heart that I've got this in, under my control. I have this in control. I know what's going on. I, know, I like praying. You know, I know you know the beginning from the end, but it's hard. But it's by the grace of God, you know, I just knew that I knew that I knew my Redeemer lived, that he was alive, and that God knew what he was doing. And regardless of what I thought, and it didn't make sense, I knew he knew, and I knew I could leave it with him. And when Jesus, is that, like where he's at in our lives, when we come to these kinds of crises, really makes a difference of how we handle these kinds of crises. And uh, the readers of Peter's letter, I haven't spent a lot of time in this letter, but the whole thing is about the first verse, second verse there, where we're sojourners. These guys were exiled, scattered abroad, and he mentions five different provinces there. And they were discouraged because of the hurts. And like I was saying, that you know, if you're just and you're good, then why are these bad things happening to us? Jesus had been crucified about 30 years previous to this, and that would have been a long 30 years when you're expecting them to come back the next day and the day after and the day after, 30 years later, and you're being persecuted, you're scattered out of your homeland. It would have been tough. But the readers of the Apostle Peter's letter, being as confused as they were, Peter was exhorting them to stand strong and repeatedly reminding them of Christ's example in suffering and the riches of their inheritance in him that new Jerusalem that we are sojourning towards, and the hope of his returning again to take them to heaven with him. Peter explained how Christians should respond when they suffer because of their beliefs. And suffering is to be expected, he's telling them. But it is temporary and it yields great blessings for those who remain steadfast. Verse 3 we see Peter directing their attention heavenward. He says, all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In the greeting of a letter, you see the very first part. This is Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, and so on. Verse 3, he starts his letter. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we have been born again because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Now we live with great expectation. Peter's primary message is to trust the Lord, live obedient no matter what your circumstances, and keep your hope fixed on God's ultimate promise of deliverance. There is a day when we're going to be in that new Jerusalem, in that homeland that God has prepared for us, that Jesus says he's gone to prepare a place for us. It's real. Being sojourners and foreigners here now we have to have the mindset of a minor prophet we see in the book of Habakkuk of the Old Testament. And Habakkuk writes, he says, even though the fig trees have no blossoms and there be no grapes on the vines, even though the olive crops fail 
and the fields lie empty and barren. Even though the flocks die in the fields and the cattle barns are empty, yet will I rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the Lord, the God of my salvation. That is the response of somebody who knows the Lord and they're walking with the Lord and they're just sojourning through this life as, with their focus on heavenly things, not on the earthly things. The earthly things aren't coming through at the moment, but yet will I rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. His circumstances never dictated how he felt about God. It says a lot about where his attention was at and where his desires were. Pastor Paul spoke a couple of weeks ago on how the scriptures say in Luke 6, 46-49 that he mentions how it rains on the just and the unjust. And the storms of life are coming to all of us. And what I thought was very interesting, he says the storm, all the storm does is reveals what the foundation of the house is built on. That really struck me, you know, when he said that. Because troubles are going to come. It rains on the just and the unjust. We have to have our lives built on the foundation that is developed by having our thinking set on heavenly things, not on earthly things. And like Peter says, that we as sojourners just passing through, this is not our home. Jesus says that we cannot allow the cares and the concerns of this world choke out the things of the Spirit. Jesus also says, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Seems to me that Jesus is the one we need to lean on. Abide in me and I will abide in you. Life happens to us all and it's important to remember that God knows and that he cares. He cares, he cares, he cares. We can be in our time when our triangle's tipped upside down and we can feel like, does God even care? He cares. He cares very much. And he's actually in control. So I don't know where you're at this morning in your life, what your triangle looks like. I don't know, you know how deep your struggles are, but I know that there are some pretty deep struggles going on. But I know that you know, sometimes we're also living a season of where it's not going so bad. And uh, I just want to encourage you that the Holy Spirit knows exactly where you're at. You know, like we can, we can carry on in life like nothing's happening and uh, the, we've been hurt as a child, we've been hurt as an adult. You know, we've been hurt and we can carry on and nobody can be the wiser. But God knows. The Holy Spirit knows. But the Holy Spirit is really limited to us in our healing. You know, there was a, Jesus said there was a town that he went to. He couldn't perform any miracles because of their unbelief. And I pray that you, every one of you, would say, Lord, here am I. You know, Holy Spirit, speak to me. I'm just going to close this in prayer. And I just ask that we would just bow our heads. And as we bow our heads, I want you just to just ask the Holy Spirit, Lord, is there, is there any relationship? Is there anything that is between you and me? So I know, like, we push the Holy Spirit away at times, and I think that is so normal because of our human nature. We're living in a broken world, and we're broken, but this morning, I want you just to say, okay, I'm not going to push the Holy Spirit away this morning. Lord, I pray that you would just come by your Spirit, continue, Lord, to move through this congregation. I know that you've been moving through this congregation this morning since the, the, the time we drove into this parking lot and stepped into this sanctuary. 
Give us ears to hear, Lord. Give us a soft heart, Father God, that we just can know and trust that you do care about us. And you do know about that hurt that took place when it took place that has made such an impact. I pray for every person here, Lord God, that you would open up the eyes of the understanding. Help them, Lord God, to have the grace that you have supplied for them to be able to forgive if they need to forgive. And we pray for every financial need, every need, Father God, that would be any kind of a hindrance, Lord, that you would help us to see why it's a hindrance, why these things are between us. And I thank you for the grace and the power of your spirit, Lord God, that that you can move through all of this stuff with every individual life in this room, Lord God, that you can move and have your way in our lives. And I pray that that would be the case. And so I just pray, Lord God, your will be done and your kingdom come in our lives, Father God. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you as you go.